0: Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight we have two very special guests, Adam Schindler and Brian Nito. Guys, thank you so much for being on our show. Adam and Brian, how are you guys doing? Excellent.
1: Yeah, excellent.
0: Uh, Again, again, thank you so much for being on our show. And before we dive into your guys' work, you Mm -hmm. guys have a long work history together. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really curious to find out how that started and how it's continued throughout the years. Uh, let's go with Adam first. Sure.
1: Um, uh, it started, uh, 36, 37 years ago. Uh, we uh, met in fourth grade. So okay. we've, we've been, we've been good friends, best friends since literally fourth grade. So, um, we met in fourth grade in we grew up in minnesota suburb woodbury outside of uh st paul minnesota uh we met in fourth grade over a love of you know comic books and genre movies and the such and uh we became fast friends and i think it was around junior high we were bored one summer and my parents had a vhs camera i don't know where we got the idea to make a movie but we decided hey this is a good way to to burn some time, so let's uh, let's just make a movie. And we made a terrible ripoff of *Child's Play* with a cabbage patch with the, with doll. With a cabbage patch doll. With a cabbage patch doll, literally. Um, and uh, it's just kind of been nonstop ever since. I mean, this is you know, this is in the '80s, obviously. And then, you know, we went into high school, and when our friends were saving money to buy you know a, a used car or whatever, we were buying video cameras. We were just like the video geeks. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That's, that's what we did, and then we just, you know, it just steamrolled from there. You know, back in the early 90s, in high school, in the mid-90s, um, we didn't have the access to the internet like we did now. Mm-hmm. We do now, where you can just find all that information just at a touch of a button. Mm-hmm. So we were doing, you know, they had a thing called Film in the Cities, which is like film courses, downtown Minneapolis, which our parents would, like, take us to, <laughs> to, like, learn how to do all that stuff. We were just in it. We were trying to write little stories, running around in our backyard, just... A lot of times it was just Brian and I, like, okay, you shoot, now it's my turn. There's like, each movie only had two characters in it, because that's all we If
2: you think the filmmaking process is boring when you're an adult, and it's a lot of, you know, (laughs) sit around and waiting, trying to explain to other 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, all right, you have to wait here while we do this, and we're going to go shoot this, and they're just attention span of a gnat, no interest. (laughs) Uh, So that's why it was was usually us, and and so it's tough to make a film with, with two people, but... I think more than anything when we look back on that stuff we realized that um, it was our film school because when you go to film school it, it let us understand uh, how do you make a lot with a little I mean and when I say a lot these were these <laughs> these were not these were not uh, amazing films but I think it taught us like how to get creative we didn't you know it was just a bunch of 10 12 11 year old kids running around trying to um, tell a story with, with just one person on camera one person right. behind it
1: so. Trying to remake El Mariachi, you know. I remember going yeah. to the Bell Auditorium in University of Minnesota, watching El Mariachi, and then our movies for the next year were all like, you know,
0: dr- R- dramatic
1: pan ups and rip offs of everything we could do. Could but do I, I think
0: that is amazing that you guys are childhood friends that had this mm-hmm. shared interest, and here you are, thirty, almost forty years later, and mm-hmm. that work relationship has developed into this. And I think that's just. Fascinating. Now, Brian, mm-hmm. uh, did you guys both share a love for horror going mm-hmm. way back, or is that something that developed as the years went on?
2: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think from the very beginning it was horror, but I mean, just I guess genre films in general. I don't know why we gravitated to horror. I, I can't explain why. I think probably because it's so visceral. And it's I mean, when you're young, you're always looking for thrills. You want to laugh, you want to cry, you want to jump. And so, um, but even you know, I I was born in New Jersey, but we lived there before. That's not when we first met. I, I moved to Minnesota. That's when we first met. But even before then, before we moved there, I have you know pictures that my mother kept of me drawing, you know, characters at cemeteries and this and that. So why I was why I gravitated to that as a young kid, I have no idea. But it was really always about that. It was always about you know, it was it was stuff like um, like I said, we did a, We did a Child's Play ripoff. Probably hadn't even seen Child's Play at the time, but we wow. knew what it, we knew the concept. You know, and so we were just trying to mimic it. So it was, yeah, it was always, it was always that for whatever reason. I haven't, we haven't tried to dissect why that is, but it stuck around till this day. So, you know, I guess it was just in our blood from the beginning.
0: Now, Adam, I got to yep. ask you this. Now, when you guys were doing as kids, this child's play ripoff or <laughs> your, any other follow-up, uh, you know, amateur horror videos, did you guys use like for blood, any kind of special, you know, effects? Well,
1: well, it started off with ketchup because we were 10 years old and no, knew nothing else. But there was a um, – I do remember, and I think it's actually still there. In St. Paul, there's a magic uh, store, Twin Cities Magic and Costume. I don't know how I remember that. But they had a whole section of, like, fake blood and prosthetics and whatever. So as we got more involved and, and, and our ideas got bigger and more elaborate, you know, I would spend many a Saturday afternoon down there begging my mom to buy me like, you know, this pint of fake blood and this like, <laughs> prosthetic bullet wound and this prosthetic cut. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. Um, but it was, you know, it was, yeah, it just steamrolled from there. It's just you, you learn, you know, like Brian said earlier, um, it really was our film school. We did Brian and I. Neither of us went to film school. We went to college, but not film school specifically. And just learning how to be resourceful and how to shoot a movie with two people and how to frame a shot. Like, yeah. I don't know, you just you just learn how to do it. And, you know, I still have those. And no, it's not going to see the light of day. It's not going on YouTube. I'm never showing this to anybody else other than the family. But looking back on that stuff, and I've seen it recently because I was digitizing some VHS stuff for my parents and I stumbled across it. And I was like, looking at it, I was like, I mean, it's terrible, absolutely terrible. But I was like, we were framing shots back then. Like we, we just it was had an instinctual. Instinct, yeah, it was just an instinct. Yeah. Like, oh, that's. But the one thing that's position? also
2: carried, a lot of stuff is carried over, but the other stuff, like I talk about El Mariachi, we, we watch, you know, read his book and later in the years, but what we did was watch how he like, so we bought a, like he had a wrestling belt. So I, I, he famously put like wrestling belts or, or belts for when you're lifting weights. He would tie little um, explosives to it. Had power. So we would try all that stuff. We yeah. were, so I think more than anything, I think what we had is a real passion for just all facets of storytelling. We would buy the scores for all the films that were out at the time and, and, cut, and cut those into the openings of the films, which is all done in camera because we didn't have, you know, we would. Yeah. I remember once creating like a blue screen where we would shoot something, put it on our VHS, on our, our, our VHS, on our television, shoot it in front of the television and then use that. Again, we were we were just experimenting, but more than anything, it was just we were teaching ourselves all right, how to be storytellers. And again, these were not great films, but more than anything, it's just like. It's the all learning right, how you...
0: experience. It's something that Absolutely. you really Absolutely. cannot even get at school. It's to be out there yeah. trying, uh, seeing what works and doesn't work. And I have mm-hmm. no idea how you guys use the green screen with VHS technology and without digital recording software to well, edit it? What
2: well, what we did was we took, a filmed a camera just kind of going all over the place because we were trying to film an arrow flying through the air. Like we were, we were inspired that. by Sam Raimi. Um, and so we, would, so we filmed all over the place. You take that, you put that on, the, on a VHS because it was a VHS tape at the time. You mm-hmm. filmed the screen doing that, but you put an arrow in front of it. So it mimics the idea of the arrow through flight. So we would cut that in, but we had to do that all in camera. So we had to do that moment, cap- and then you know capture the the arrow cl- chasing uh-huh. after one of us. So again, all that you know, it was that it was is just- the
0: definition of innovation, right there. <laughs> yeah,
2: very, we very, were cutting very, edge folks.
1: <laughs> this is like before IL. We are cutting edge. Now it was, but yeah, it's taking chances and and being um, aggressively naive and 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 excited and just going. You know, there was no like you can't do this. We're like, uh, uh, well,
0: why not? Figure out
1: a way. We'll just figure out a way. Yeah, why not? We'll figure out a way to do it. Maybe it's terrible, maybe it's not. But why not? And also, there
2: was nobody. You know, this was before we thought this was a career. We were just having fun. Exactly. You know what I mean? So we weren't thinking. We weren't thinking anyone was going to see these. No one was waiting on them. We weren't some prodigies that were. Also, all of a sudden, you know, people were expecting us to turn out great stuff. It, It was for us. It was seen by us and our parents. God bless them for watching. For watching them, uh, but it was just for us. It was it was the definition of like you said, a passion.
0: Now and, uh, you said it was fun. I'm gonna ask this question before I go on to my next question. Is it still fun today?
1: Oh God, yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, Adam. Hell yeah. yeah, 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 hell yeah, hell yeah. What no would other, you... no, no other thing. No other thing. I for all the ups and downs that the industry can can provide you. There is nothing I would not, I would want to do more than this.
0: Awesome! No. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, what would you guys say was your quote-unquote first professional project, Brian? I'll no. throw that to you.
2: Well, we were well, we paid to. Well, I think we we were paid to write something for for an artist to illustrate. We paid to, we were paid to write a treatment outline for for a world that a friend of ours we had met at Comic Con. He was a very skilled artist, still a very skilled artist. Uh, we, we were paid to write that for him. That was the first time we were paid to write anything. And I think that was a sense of pride in that. Yeah. The lesson we took from that, and we didn't, weren't paid much, but the lesson we took from that was when you are paying something, paying someone for something that they consider their craft and something that they love to do, you are gonna get their, you're going to get their best as opposed to a lot of times you're pulling together uh, small films and you're asking for favors, you're asking people to show up for free. The feeling we had cashing that check, it was not much. But the feeling we had cashing that check—it meant the world to us—and I think that was a lesson we took when we made our first film delivery. So delivery, segueing to, to, to delivery, mm-hmm. um, that was our first. Although we 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 paid for that ourselves, <laughs> that was our first professional. That was—I would say—that was probably our first our first professional production because although we paid for it, we built it like a real production. We had insurance, we had caterers, we hired our crew. We didn't pay them much. If anyone in our crew is watching this, we love you guys. Thank you for for. For For breaking your backs for us for that film, but that was our first production that we built after years of kind of working on other people's projects and just learning how the industry uh-huh. works. We built the production we mimicked it we kind of we tailored it after how we saw larger productions built. we built it for we did it for ourselves on a much much smaller scale yeah and and that was we treated it like a real film and, and to that to that point, like a lot of times smaller films what they'll do is they'll have to shoot on available days. We said no, we're going to block off two days of w- two weeks. We're going to take time off work. We're going to get these people in so that we're getting them in a really consolidated amount of time. Uh-huh. They're in, they're out, they're done like a traditional film. So all of those things, we all those lessons that we took from working on other productions and just learning how Hollywood worked from the time moving out, we took it and, and applied to that. And I, and it, without a doubt it helped us because um, yeah, I, I just, it, without a doubt it, it helped, it helped us.
1: The biggest thing we learned, you know, in regards to that whole thing is, you know, even if you're paying somebody $20 mm-hmm. to come, it means the world because we know how we felt when we got paid to do this – to write this thing. And we were like, man, I'm, I'm going to do the best damn job I can do on this thing because this yeah. dude's paying us and like this feels legit. So if you're putting together a short film or a, you're trying to put together your first feature or whatever, even if you're paying somebody 50 bucks a day to come – we knew that if we were paying somebody, they were going to show up. Yeah. And if you're not paying somebody, somebody gets up and goes, oh, you know, I'm having a bad day. Well, I'm just going to like not go. They're not paying me anyways. Yeah.
2: But uh, you're paying somebody 50 bucks. They'll show up. It means something. They'll show it up. Means it means something. I'm sorry to interrupt. I see someone writing on the chat and she wants to ask a question. Ariel, I don't mean to jump you. But no. I just she was saying, can I ask a question? Can they, Are they seeing us? And I'm like, we see you. So, ask a question. Maybe we'll,
0: we'll answer it. Okay. <laughs> I want to ask these guys something, but I'm scared. I don't even know if they can see the chat. Well, they can. You can see the chat. Um, see the chat. Be, ask your I'm scared. new at talking on YouTube and things, and she's encouraged to say, uh, So she hasn't asked it yet, but I'll keep an eye to see if she does ask it. it. Don't be afraid. Ariel, just go ahead and ask your question. So I want to start. We're going to get to delivery, but I want to start with 50 States of Fright. Okay? Mm. Uh, Thank you, guys, by the way, for sending me that screener to that episode. It was a wild nine and a half minutes of that (laughs) short. I loved it. It had a great mixture of character storytelling blood, gore, and combined. And it was only like, it was just under 10 minutes. Now, describe, uh, let's go with Adam. Describe to us what 50 States of Fright is, um, according to IMDb, to three mm. shorts, uh, three episodes, each of them being shorts. Yeah. Uh, yep. Whose concept was that? Is that something you guys were asked to do? Just tell us how. It, yeah. what it is.
1: Yeah, we'll tell you how it came together. Um, so it's... Um, Sam Raimi, uh, it's Sam Raimi's show. He originally, it was origi- originally conceptualized for Quibi, if anybody knows what that is. Yeah. Got Quibi, um, so which was uh, basically a network for your phone, is how it was sold. So it was originally um, done for that. Quibi has since folded, but Roku Channel has picked up all the the uh, Quibi, a lot of the Quibi uh, content. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, It should be coming out on Roku uh, shortly. I don't know exactly, but we've been told shortly. Yeah, to Um, my surprise,
0: actually, this show is on the Roku channel. My distributor didn't even tell me. All
1: right,
2: we're part of the same (laughs) thing. All right. Uh Uh,
1: Exactly. So, exactly, it's the same type of thing. But it was originally conceptualized by a a number of people, and Sam Raimi came aboard. He shot the first episode. And basically what it was meant to be and what it is is – Short horror stories, uh, you know, 50 states of fright taking urban legends, horror stories from 50 states and turning them into, you know, episodic television. Mm-hmm. And the way it was recorded for Quibi was they're in, you know, what they called quick bites. So ours was three chapters. It's each chapter is like eight, seven, eight minutes long. So you can get quick bites of information or quick stories and the hope was that you would watch it on the go. Like you're on the bus, you're in the bank, you watch an episode, oh I gotta this. Roku is going to put them together, you'll be able to watch it on your television, which is always how we kind of like that's how we shot it. Our episode is is large and there's a lot that goes on and it it's better watched on a television, to be completely honest, or a movie screen. Um but yeah, that's that was the concept. You know, hopefully it does well on Roku because I've seen Roku has picked up some other of the Quibi stuff for other seasons Mm -hmm. and they have you know amy did the first episode we have beckon woods who from quiet place ryan spindell did an episode um the mortuary collection which just came out he did an episode um there's a lot of really really talented uh filmmakers that have done takes on horror stories from their given state you know we locked out we pitched a story from our home state of minnesota and luckily we're selected as like we like that we love that we want to do that so we were just high-fiving at the fact that we get to do our our home state yoko akimura who is also a minnesota filmmaker she did the kansas episode um great episode i mean there's a lot of really uh really unique really cool stories really well done so check it out in roku when it comes out yeah. within the next month and a half i mean it's really it's like up there it's it i'm no, yes, the quality a, is
2: fantastic. The
0: quality is. It, I mean, the episode that I so Brian when mm-hmm. uh, if you look on IMDb, it says fifty States, Fifty uh, States of Fright" came out in twenty twenty, but that's not accurate. Uh, so you guys don't have uh, yet a date when this will be available to the public.
2: Well, well, it came out on Quibi, which was you know the, the service lasted a couple of months. So mm-hmm. for those who saw it, wasn't many. That's when it was. Thank available. you for watching. <laughs> yeah, thanks for watching those for those who did see it, though. Uh, but yeah, twenty. so yeah, like a month and a half. from When, when we understand it's going to be dropping right around Halloween. Roku has a much larger reach than Quibi did. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll find a larger audience. And, and it's just fun. I think, you know, our episode, it's it's three, you know, it's just like a commercial break, right? So mm-hmm. it's like three, nine, eight minute episodes. It comes out to about 25 minutes altogether. So it's like a half an hour of television, mm-hmm. like a black mirror. So, you know, we watch it all together. And... Um, and I think all the episodes vary in from 10, 15, 20 minutes. But it was, it was like, I got to have said, for the fact that we got to do our home state. Uh, yeah. Great Cloud Island was something that, that was in the same county as us, probably 15, 20 minutes from my house was Great Cloud Island. So it was, it was cool to tell, you know, Minnesota, obviously people think of Fargo, <laughs>
0: they,
2: which, which we love. They think of the Cohen brothers who, who obviously are, are, you know, we're, we're fans of them, but I don't think yet there had been anything that had put a stamp on on minnesota as in terms of a horror story so we were just hoping that we could have uh kind of an entry point into that conversation so we were uh, happy on a couple of fronts happy to work with Raimi who's an idol and uh, of ours and somebody that we've um stole one of the coo- li- yeah. liberally <laughs> one of, and one of the coolest people you'll meet that still
1: is the giddy filmmaker that made evil dead like he's just still that guy and that's no. that that so, warmed our heart. We were, You know, you get concerned sometimes you meet your idols and this and that, and it's not what you imagine. but he's not, still that guy.
0: Speaking of Raimi, you know, here's this, I mean, huge filmmaker. Uh, for me, it was kind of surprising that he's interested in doing shorts. Did that surprise you guys as well?
2: Well, I mean, I think with the industry, with the way the industry is going now, it's just, it's there's so many different avenues to tell your stories. So for a long time, miniseries were gone. Mm -hmm. Now they're back. You know, features now, I think a lot of people now are focused on television series, but features are going to circle back around again. So I think for him, frankly, he had an opportunity. He probably hadn't made a a feature in a while or hadn't shot anything that I was aware of in a while. He had an opportunity to go and play in in the genre that everyone loves and reveres him for. And he had an opportunity to tell a story he probably wanted to tell but didn't know how he could tell it in a larger format. So he had this opportunity to do it in 20-something minutes. So... I think most filmmakers, honestly, I mean, with the way things are going now, especially with the pandemic, where so much of our stuff is digested on the television screen, yeah, they, we just want our stuff to be seen. I'm talking yeah. we as in Adam and I, but yeah. most filmmakers, they just exactly. want it to be seen. They don't, we don't really care anymore how it's seen, how it's digested. So, as we said, our episode started off for phone consumption. <laughs> now it's on a television screen, yeah, and so I, it'll look so much better. The series looks great. It'll look so much better on a television. But people really, filmmakers really. We would all we would all love to have our films open wide across the country on a on a, yeah. on, a, on, a on a big screen. Everyone will tell you that everyone but, but I think those Lua,
0: days are those uh, days are yeah. they were
2: going the way of the dodo before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was just a slow i mean it, the, the, i think it accelerated when that happened
0: yeah so um,
2: to answer I, we weren 't really surprised i think I think more than anything, I can say this much cause just from talking with them briefly. Um, we, had, we had an opportunity to kind of get together with all of the filmmakers for like a mini-rap party. He just loves horror. He loves young filmmakers. And so I think he was just as excited to kind of see who was going to come in. And I mean, you, you want everyone to succeed, but there's always a sense of like, all right, we want to make sure that we impress. Yeah, Sam, we want to make sure that we have the best episode. There's a sense uh-huh. of competition, but at the same time, there was, a, there was a really deep sense of camaraderie because we were all up there relative at the same time. We spent a lot of time with each other. With a certain segment of filmmakers that we've friends now, so um, you want to you want to show out a little bit. You want to make sure that you have an episode that lives up to Sam's. Yeah, um, and so I just think he was happy to be around some young blood. I'll be perfectly honest. And then certainly shortly after that, he did. You know, he just jumped into Doctor Strange again. So. He's back in um, in Futureland. So um, not that surprised. I think people are just, they just want to shoot. They want to work.
0: Awesome. And you can tell yeah. I've never met him yet. I haven't met him yet, but you could just hearing, um, you know, all the stories about Sam and just how enthusiastic he is about the craft. Great right word. Great right word. He loves it. Yeah. Now let's talk about your guys' 50 States of Fright episode without giving away any spoilers. i loved the whole the trailer did that already (laughs) i loved the whole concept of the uh college hazing uh, fraternity initiation in the woods island creepy you guys wrote that it was you two that wrote that episode right
2: yeah, we
0: wrote and directed it. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. So, Adam, I'm going to ask you this: What was the inspiration for the island, the college, uh, fraternity hazing, and so on?
1: Well, not giving uh, you know much away, but you know, like Brian said, Gray Cloud Island was really close. We worked we uh, grew up in Woodbury, Minnesota. Gray Cloud Island is, you know, 15 minutes from where we. Grew up, although we never really went to Grayclaw Island when we were growing up, we did hear rumors. You hear rumors about all types of things happening on that island. It was, you know, it was literally a grab bag of of possible things from hauntings to, you know, CIA to UFOs. I mean, they just there was a whole bunch of rumors. Like the Bermuda Triangle of the Midwest. The Bermuda Triangle of the Midwest. Yeah, great way to put it, Brian. Um, So we crafted our. So we thought, okay we knew this pitch was coming up. Like what are some urban legends stuff? And we re- remembered this and we did some research. What are different urban legends all over there? And we kept going back to Great Cloud Island just cause it was just bizarre because it just, it was kind of anything you could create anything out of. It. Um, and that's exactly what we did. We said, what if, you know, what if this Island was, uh, all these rumors were a, a front for something else that yeah. was going on. So we were like, okay, how would you, you know, what would you say? How would you get people to that Island that felt feels organic to the island to experience whatever this is like uh, hazing. Perfect. I mean, we've all gone through college. We Brian and I were, neither of us were really in fraternities, but Mm -hmm. you know, my college, Oxford college was like literally across the street from university of Minnesota. So I've been to those parties. I've seen all that stuff. We know how that works. We've seen plenty of movies where we know how that works. We're like, this is a perfect end three, four unsuspecting, you know, guys hazing on an Island chaos ensues. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, we we just wanted to make it fun, fast, fun fun, 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 fast, scary, all the stuff that we love when we go in to see these type of movies and, you know, a nod to Sam Raimi again, all that kind of stuff. Like his stuff is fun. It's fast. It's brutal. It's gory. And, and you're leaving, you're leaving the, uh, theater feeling. You exactly. Know, full. And,
0: and coming from a lifelong horror fan as myself, not much in terms of plot twists surprised me, but that ending in your episode surprised (laughs) me. I I don't know why I did not see that coming and I loved it. I loved how you took Minnesota and the big like uh, Scandinavian, Norwegian cultural population and integrated it into that and to Mm -hmm. find out that, and, and it's hard. I mean, this is like under 10 minutes, uh, mm-hmm. I keep having to remind myself that that in that time you managed to take a story and by the end it's completely flipped on its head. You know who you thought was this and who you thought was that. You were, you were all. We were all trying gone. to
2: make if we we figured if we made it move fast enough, people wouldn't have time to figure out what was really going <laughs> on. To your point, in terms of like second guessing. So right. yeah, I mean. The stuff that the features we had done before, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, were 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 much more. Were you know they they were smaller in the sense that they the scope had to be small because you didn't have a ton of money. So with this, we didn't frankly know how much money we were going to have. We just went in and pitched the biggest, baddest kind of. We just I mean we just had no idea what we really were going to have at our disposal. So when we pitched it, we kind of handed it in like here you go. And when they selected it, we're like oh shit okay great we can this is we'll make something big and we'll make something that has a lot more locations than any of the features we've done. And I think more than anything for us, we were excited to play in a little bit bigger. Like, although, like I said, the runtime altogether between all every segment, although it's one big episode in our minds, was only 24 minutes. This was more toys and more resources and more crew and anything than we'd ever had before. Yeah. So we we took we took full advantage of that really going into it, not knowing that we would have that. We always figured we'd have to scale back some stuff, but yeah. we able we were able to deliver. And you know, we shot in, in uh, Vancouver, and the crew was very experienced, they knew how to move fast because they mostly work in television and they were able to deliver what you saw. And and frankly, I think a lot of people in the lead up to production, they kept kind of slyly telling us, hey, you might want to cut a couple of pages out of this because you have a lot going on. And we were like, oh, we're good, we're good, which is part confidence, part naivete, Mostly confidence because I think you know we cut our first two features so we really know what we need and what we don't need. So mm. when we we're, we're like we know that we have to get to this scene because this scene leads to that scene and that scene oh leads to this God. scene. And a lot of the filmmakers, the, uh, um, a lot of the filmmakers that were filming before us, you know, came up to us with like these bug eyes, like looking at us with like PTSD, like guys, this is crazy fast. You have to prepare yourself. And we we're like, okay, we'll we'll figure it out. And we just, we just rolled with the punches and, and, and we're very fortunate that we had everybody on the same page and was able to capture what we needed because. All the other episodes are fantastic. They're 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 a bit more contained than what we did. Ours is like it's so many different locations, so many yeah. different characters. Yeah,
1: we don't repeat one. We literally don't repeat one location. It's like yeah. we're onto the next, onto the next. It's like running through the forest to this. To your place point,
2: keeping a up keeping up ahead of the audience because we don't want them to guess exactly where we, where we were That's
1: going. That's the turn twists and turns.
0: Now, Adam, when Fifty States of Fright does come out, do you know how it's going to be presented to us? Is it going to be thirty minutes of uh, three separate segments? It's going it to uh, be a It's going to be. I don't –
1: I can't really answer that. What I would – I think the – I really don't know. I would imagine – I don't think it's going to be – from what I've seen of what they've done with the other uh, Quibi shows is I don't think they're rolling them out like Quibi originally did, which was drop our first episode, which was nine minutes, and then our second episode the next day, which is another eight minutes, and then the third one. I think you're going to be able to watch it kind of like all the way through, like still as the episodes, but – in one sitting, you'll be able to sit and watch okay. it. It's, yeah. it's how I've I imagine. Yeah, so I've been watching.
2: It. I have Roku, so I've been watching it. It's not that different than Netflix. Yeah. Frankly, the only difference is there's commercial breaks. Like, if you'll watch one episode, yeah. it's 10 minutes. But there'll be commercials... And then you'll jump to the it's, next one. So it's, like,
0: it's what's called AVOD, Advertising Video On Demand. Exactly.
2: Yep, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of, I mean, the stuff that's coming over, there's a lot of not to be a big Quibi show, but there's a lot of stuff on there that got lost because Quibi came and went so fast. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool stuff on Quibi um, that's now on Roku. So check it out.
0: Yeah. Now, did Sam uh, and company give you guys autonomy when it, comes, when it came to your segment with casting and just complete 100%. control? Hundred yeah. percent.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, we, we handed in the script. We got notes from the team, and then we did a read through. We did a table read uh, with Sam and a few other people. And Sam one of me. the
1: highlights. One of the highlights of our career thus far was having Sam Raimi read a character named Ash from our from our <laughs> <episode>. Evil
0: Dad. <laughs>
1: Ashley, but people in the in our episode call him Ash. So he yeah. played that character as we did the read through and Brian and I were just like nudging each other like,
2: hey, maybe Evil yeah. Oh, yeah, like he like, had that he was... had unsurprisingly I, or maybe I was, I mean, he had some amazing notes, but they were all like practical notes, like on the day when you're on set, blah, blah, blah. This guy that has been making movies since 1980. When did Evil Dead come out?
0: 80? 70, 81? 70, 70, so I think it was the end of the 70s. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So he's been doing this for a minute and so he, the notes were just so great. They were filmmaker notes. They weren't, no disrespect to any execs listening to this, they weren't exec notes. They were filmmaker notes. Like yeah. he understood what would happen when you tried to translate this onto the screen. And so yeah. he would be able to pick out the pitfalls, the potential pitfalls. So he had amazing notes. And... But yeah, beyond that, like the casting of it, I think people didn't understand what Quibi was going to be yet. So there was a bit of excitement and a bit of a buzz, although people were like, what is this thing? So, yeah. you know, we, uh, we the casting director that we had that was assigned, I believe, to all the episodes, you know, she was like, look, um, she got it to Asa Butterfield's agent and he really dug it. And so we had a just a meeting with him via Zoom. Um, he was in the UK. And I think his only yeah, he didn't have any notes. His only question, I think Asa's only thing was like tone. Because you know tonally, it it there's humor in it, but there's also a lot of blood yeah. in the sense that and and so we said like we, we kept telling all the because one you know we kept telling all the people that were in the film like look this ha- we want to have humor because these are young these are young men in a fraternity. Uh, going off into the woods and Arrazing each we wanna, other. And, uh, we we want to have that playfulness to it, but at the same time, we don't want the playfulness to undercut the horror. Yeah. So I think for everybody, their their real question was like, what is this like? What are the comps like? And and frankly, I don't mean to sound like we created something completely original. We were trying to come up with comps, and we had a hard time because it's not Scream is too kind of meta and tongue in cheek, and this was not that. Like there was humor, but, but there was some serious horror oh, in, yeah. in it too. It was. And a, so I, um, I
0: think it was every, I think it was balanced very nicely. And,
2: yeah, oh, thank, thank you. Him. And so that was really that was Ace's only note, and all the cast. I, think, I mean, the, the producers were excited to get him. Um, and I think, frankly, for us, like we had start, we had when we when we met with him, we just well, we should probably watch a little bit of Sex Education, which is on Netflix, and we were like, oh, okay, this guy's this guy's a, this guy's a pretty big deal. And no. he also, um, we've worked with a lot of really great performers, and he is he is. He was the most, maybe the most technical we'd ever worked with, in the sense that like you give him a note and he would execute it like to perfection, almost like, like an athlete. Yeah. But athlete can just knows his body and can do whatever he needs to do. Like he knew, be like, can you do it with this, this, and this? He goes, okay, goes and does it, comes right back, and he's just like, wow, that was incredible. Can you pause for two seconds, give him a chance to do this thing before do it? No problem,
1: like no problem.
2: Awesome. Uh, so he was. It was, and and the important thing was also because he was he was our main character, you know, his willingness to just kind of just go into it and just jump in, it trickled down to the rest of the cast. Cause mm-hmm. the other, the other boys that were the other young men rather that were, that were the first fraternity brothers, they got along so well. Like those two were like a little, they were, those four were like a gaggle across the, like they would, whenever we, you know, move on to the next shot, those four would like just kind of run off to the craft services or run off to a Tanner. They were always together. And that camaraderie, I think, I mean, I suppose we could have, Charles I, I suppose we could yeah, have. Yeah, exactly, that Adam. It yeah. it
0: came through on the screen. It really did. Yeah, they were. They, they met each hanging. other.
2: Yeah. They met each other on the trailer before you know a few hours before we started rolling. So wow. it's like we were we were fortunate that the chemistry was great between between the four of them. The character that plays
1: the Ash character, Ashley Alex Fitzalan, uh, we had seen um, we had seen his Netflix show, and we were talking about the character, and we were trying to figure out how we cast this guy or whatever. And we're like, well, it's just like the Harry character in the show on Netflix or whatever. And we're like. Why don't we just go get that guy? Because he's awesome, <laughs> and we were able to do it. That was like, it's like the first time in our careers we were ever, you know, you have the star power of Sam Raimi, and you know, yeah. and the Quibi, and everybody was really excited about it and didn't know what it was going to be. So there was a lot of like mystery behind it, and people were excited to just kind of be part of it because everybody was being part of it and let's join it, and that uh, was great because we were like, oh, we can go get the people we want because, you know, if you're making a movie and you're working in Hollywood. Yeah that is can be a tricky path that's yeah. the you know that's the hard part of getting a movie made it's like how you put the movie together like who you know the worth of actors and all this kind of stuff which is stuff that
0: it's insane, you know, it's it's of, insane. yeah it's insane
1: it's inside of creative stuff so we were just like creative creative we this guy is perfect this is who we kind of write wrote the character for let's go get that guy we can get that guy let's you know i mean like you've never been in that in yeah. that position we can, go, we can go get that guy and then we went and got him and he knocked it out of the park too. i mean it, they all did everybody just
0: everybody did it
2: so, worked, yeah. It worked a but
0: off. So let's go now to your guys' first feature film, Delivery: The Beast Within. It was like I was a found footage type film. Uh, I'm assuming it being your first feature film, as a lot of independent films, you had a very tight, small budget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how did that story come together? Well, and a question is: Is found footage making a found footage film? Uh, more, is it cheaper to make as opposed to other type of films? So, or was just the idea for delivery was a found footage type film from the very beginning? Yeah, From the beginning. From the beginning. Yeah.
2: From the beginning. And just a bit of history, when we conceived that idea, this was back, this is before, when we conceived it, the original Paranormal hadn't even come out yet. So the only things that were really kind of in the ether, Cloverfield had come out the year before, but nobody was thinking that a $30 million movie can be replicated as a whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there was a film called Lake Mungo out of Australia, which is fantastic. Okay.
1: Fantastic. One of the best films.
2: And so the only thing that felt like a real comp was Lake Mungo was much more, it was much closer to what we wanted to, what we were pitching our manager was much closer to Lake Mungo than it was to Cloverfield. So... um, yeah, I, I, it was built into the conceit. It was built into the idea like we, everything that you saw was when it was what we conceived initially. You know, first act is, is, is a reality show. The second act is the behind the scenes of the show. The third act, it kind of devolves into what what you would off that time call a, you know, more of a, of a found footage film. So it helped us in the fact that we financed the film ourselves. We made it for four year grant. We just we wrote checks uh, between ourselves and our, our wives uh, we we wrote those checks and and we owned the film outright, which was great. But um, at the time, you know, there wasn't a lot to compare it to. I mean, in subsequently after we after Paranormal came out, we had just we had our finished. We had just finished our first draft, and so people were much more open to taking a meeting about kind of an unconventional horror film. Mm-hmm. But we weren't. It was not. We weren't riding any wave. There was no wave when we started the concept for it. Uh, it just so happened that the wave broke as we were ready to go out and start taking meetings. And once we started taking meetings, people were very enthusiastic and they loved the idea, but they were less than enthused with the way that we wanted to approach it, which was <laughs> they got a little scared. <laughs> we, you know, we I, you could tell the Orange story, the Orange Pelley story, but I was going to say the way we wanted to approach it scared people off, and that's why we ended up doing it ourselves.
0: Yeah. Now so we. Oh, go on, Adam.
1: Yeah. So, so our manager, Mark Maness, uh World Builder Entertainment, a little plug for him. He's, uh, he, uh, we pitched in this idea. We were like, there's this movie that called Paranormal Activity. It's a found footage movie. Can you get us a copy so we can see what he did? Cause it was, you know, it hadn't come out yet. And he was like, let me check. Got back to us quickly thereafter. was like, I absolutely cannot get you a copy of that movie. Cause it's on lock and key. You know, nobody knows, but I can do, I can get you a meeting with Oren Pelly, the director. Mm-hmm. You're like, Cool. At this point, Oren Pelly was a no-name filmmaker who had a movie that hadn't come out yet. So we met with Oren, and we were like, hey, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Like, literally, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And we were like, oh, this is what we're thinking about doing. You know, we just wanted to pick his brain. How did you do it? And he was like, literally brought pieces of paper. He's like, this is how I did it. Like, this is what I did. Like, I did this, and I did this, and then this. And we were like we keep that because okay, we just wanted to be like this is perfect we wanted mm-hmm. to keep the format of all this so you know and then of course paranormal activity comes out boom it's mm-hmm. huge like and he's this was the like races. two.
2: we met him two months before it, it dropped.
1: so before it dropped.
2: at the end of the meeting we were just like so what's happening with your movie he's like well and he kind of had like a little look and then two months later we went to sit on a midnight screening That's packed a- house and it blew up i mean it changed Independent filmmaking It changed micro-budget filmmaking forever. I got,
0: I, I got to put in my opinion on Paranormal. I love Paranormal Activity. I'm, I, mean, I I do too. I, I love I it. Okay. Now, Oren made this movie for what's he says it what what stated in the media for ten grand. Yeah, no, somewhere oh. around there. Ish. Yeah, ten grand. Yeah. The movie just made. Just under a hundred and ninety million dollars <laughs> worldwide. I mean, talk about talk about return on investment right there. But in regards 100%. to paranormal activity, besides it being a great movie, the way they marketed it with the Do you guys remember the marketing yeah? Oh, yeah. of the people yeah, we sitting there, in the in the movie here, theater? You, hear, you know, click on the
1: thing you want it to be in the movie, and then showing the audience in the trailer reacting to it. Yeah. That got us. Man. Like we were there, there was a line, it was packed and nobody knew anything other than the trailer. Like yeah. I miss, I miss that kind of camaraderie you get with that kind of stuff. Like I, there's a number of those experiences Brian have, I have had over the years. I feel like that's kind of going away. I mean, the pandemic is a huge part. Hopefully once we get over this hump and what have you, that we can get back to that kind of thing. Because I really, I really do miss, I may not watch every movie that way, yeah. but I do miss like, Going to see the original, yeah. you know, going to see, like, the Matrix. Like, the Matrix sequel, because the Matrix, nobody knew what that was. But, like, those, like, yeah, right behind, Brian. There you go. I just saw I just saw the trailer for the new one today, so it's on my I'm mind. Not gonna,
2: but, I'm not going to watch it. I'm just going to watch, know, doesn't watch but it. I know.
0: But the marketing they did for Paranormal Activity, it was unique. Right. It worked. And, of course, you have to deliver. And they did with the movie. It absolutely, absolutely. delivered. It was absolutely. just brilliantly done. So, when you guys were doing delivery and you financed it yourself. Um, did you have it all planned out up to post-production and then you were hoping to get it into the f- film festivals for distribution? How did it play out after filming ended?
2: Well, yeah, after well, filming ended, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I was, I was going to say after filming ended, we it, it, our, our cinematographer was also going to be editing the film and and the mountain of footage that we handed over, which he knew because he shot it, was just a lot of film. It was just a lot so of footage because we shot it like a reality show, right? right. So the we, cameras were constantly rolling. I like a lot of takes, you know. Uh, and so it hours was, and hours and it hours was just a lot of footage. And ultimately, he couldn't get to it in the speed in which we needed him to. Um, and so ultimately, we ended up cutting it ourselves, which I think for for without a doubt was the best thing we could have done. But a, a year had passed between going from him to another editor. Finally, we cut it ourselves. So to answer your question. Plan? No. Like our plan was to get it in the can. Our plan was to get it done, and then after that, it was figure like, it out. All right, figure it out. And so we just we cut ourselves. Like we would cut sequences independently. I we would just do it on our laptops at our kitchen table, and then ultimately put it together. And I remember, um, after that, we 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 again we tried. It, it, it was kind of like your kid trying on the adult clothes. It was like we tried to build this like a real studio film, but for a micro micro budget. So we held. We had a. We had a test screen. So and we we had a friend that hosted it, we rented a theater, we had a bunch of people come, some people we knew, but we invited and encouraged people to bring people we did not know. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately we weren't there at the screening to greet anybody, but at the end we came out but we listened in from the back as they had questions and notes and a big discussion kind of started to brew in the crowd for what we could hear. And once we had once we heard that we were like, "Okay, I think that's I good so. because people aren't like a lot of times you'll see a movie and just kind of go, "Okay, that was good" and just walk out like it just leaves your brain. But I think this film didn't do that. And I think that helped because aside from the ending of it, which had a strong ending, it also created a little bit of debate, which Mm -hmm. we were hoping might happen, but we didn't, you just never can know. And um, after that, it was just like, look, this is incredibly tiny. We're just going to hope we get into a film festival. And, but more than anything, I think our goals from the beginning were very, very modest. Like our goal was like, at the time, IFC Midnight was like, a go-to place if you had a low independent horror film that you wanted to get, you know, like no. that was the stamp of approval. It made IBC Midnight or went to Magnet and then it was on VOD and yeah. it's like congratulations, you've arrived. Mm-hmm. Our our goals were, in, were incredibly modest and so after you know after we got into LA Film Festival and was sold out of that, that was our premiere. That's so that's when we world premiered. We we played it you know, Sigis, which was like for us, like a massive deal, which is like the grandfather of all genre festivals in Spain. Mm-hmm. And we played at festivals like New Orleans Film Festival and, and films and festival like Scream Fest in L.A., places that were that were horror film festivals and genre film festivals, but also stuff that wasn't. And so that was kind of where this we kind of had this really interesting audience because it was for people that that necessarily said that they didn't like horror films, but they 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 found this one interesting. Uh-huh. But then also horror films, I think horror fans also appreciated it because it took an interesting way into a traditional yeah, uh-huh. horror, horror film idea. So we had no plan. We just hoped that
0: it would, it would work end out. up on
2: DVD. It, it hoped it would end up on DVD. And I think because of that, it, it exceeded, it wildly exceeded. But also I, I'll say this. I, I said to a friend of mine after we filmed it, he was like, how did it go? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to like this, but I know that i'm really proud of it yeah we're, and proud, think, of it. we're proud of it. We we're proud of it and i think that more than anything it was the movie we set out to make mm-hmm. and so you just hope that people are going to want to go along for the ride that you created because it's not everyone's cup of tea but for the people that love it like they really love it and for other people they'll say it's too slow and yeah. that's fine we knew that going in well, but, you're but,
0: never going to make anybody everybody happy
2: absolutely if you can make yourself happy like yeah. that was the thing if you can make yourself happy you'll be one for two
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know so I mean? so Adam, after the the film hit all these festivals, how yeah. soon before you guys got a legitimate distribution offer?
1: Uh, right out of our first festival. Like we Wow. So this is how this is how it worked. We finished past the deadline for Sundance, Slamdance, like all all the big festivals. We're like, "Okay, what's the next biggest festival coming up that we could probably hit?" It's LA Film Festival in June. So the submission time was like February or I want to say February, maybe yeah. late January or February of that year. So we like, OK, so we submit and we get it. Brian gets a call. Is this a world premiere? You know, people are concerned about world premieres and how they program films and everything. And there's all these politics that go involved. Like, I don't know much about it, but we know enough now. And it's like, <clears throat> is it a world premiere? Yes, it is. We shot it all on LA cool and then like literally i think later that left next day like you got we got an email like there's internal momentum people like it and then they asked us asked us to be part of the festival and there was no better place to really i mean i i miss LA film festival it no longer exists but we've had two films premiere at LA film festival had two films premiere at LA film festival no better place for our, our first movie an LA story everything takes place in LA we shot it all over LA got some permits didn't get other permits you know we did the whole kind of going back to our days running around the backyard with a vhs camera yeah we did a little bit you know we did a little bit of that too with this like you just have to you gotta you gotta sometimes be like oh we gotta go get that shot of the thing on the pier in santa monica and we don't have the 1200 bucks to like pay for the permit all right we'll just roll by in a car you know what i mean we did the whole thing you know like you just Sometimes you just got to do though, yeah, do that and that's what we did. so it was, we were super excited, and the LA Film Festival threw an amazing festival, and yeah, we sold out of there. And once you sell or once you're in a larger festival, our experience has been festivals start calling you and they mm-hmm. start emailing. Yeah.
2: yeah, we weren't very aggressive. We never submitted to anybody else
1: like yeah, that we was weren't... the only festival we ever submitted to. And we we're just, not very just,
2: aggressive afterwards. Yeah. I wish we would have. We just didn't know. And so after everything we got into after that was people reaching out to us, but we didn't submit to some of the other festivals that we're fans of just because we just were oh well, it's already sold. So what's the next step? So um, yeah, we we were we traveled as much as we could, you know, to different places, uh, the UK and, and just across the country, and and you know that was that was incredible. I, you'll never be able to. We went from New Orleans Film Festival to the Telluride Horror Show in like a three day span. I think we had the Scream Fest, Festival uh, a couple of days before that. So we were in like three different cities in a week. And you have to take advantage of that because that doesn't, first off, if you're fortunate enough your films start going straight to theater or to yeah. larger flaps, so you don't have that experience. So mm-hmm. we took full advantage of it and, and saw as much as we could and got out and met a lot of really incredible filmmakers and, and programmers and
0: so when, so when Delivery, you know, completed it, you know, Journey, and it got distribution. Did you guys feel like you know what we did it? We've made it. We've arrived. You know, our first feature film. uh, We took a risk. We (laughs) put our own money into it, and everything really worked out. What What was your feelings?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, we always we're just always on. We're always working on so many things, so that it was like by the time the delivery had done its festival run and stuff, we were. I mean, we're two years out from when we like finished it and all that kind of stuff. And it's just doing this thing. And now we just get to like
0: the next meet one. other
1: filmmakers and, and travel around and like talk to people like yourself about the filmmaking process, which is we love doing. So that was awesome. But we were already on to the, to the next thing. I mean, that's how we got in. Tr- our, our our next movie. Intruders was basically some producers saw the movie, really liked it wanted to find something with us, and we ended up doing a movie with them. So, that's kind of what works, but we were just kind of, we're always on to the next thing. Like, we got, right now, we got a bunch of other projects that we're just trying to, because it's so hard to, it's even gotten harder now, but to get movies made. It's just, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of at the point now where we're like, okay, we've, we've done the pay for your own independent movie, and now it's like, now continuing to be productive and continuing to churn out movies and make more movies is the work, is the work before you get to get to make the movie so yeah. it's like now we're doing now we're now we're studying for the test and you just study and study and study and study until you get to take the test which is making the movie and it's like you know that's that's where we're at now and that's where we were after delivery we just
0: okay.
1: working on the next thing write another script we yeah. always have ideas we just generate ideas all the time he's brian's texting me in the middle of the night i'm emailing him i got this idea you know like you just got to continue to work. And that's what we love about it is just continue to tell stories. So it's Exactly.
0: Just... Let, let, we're almost out of time, but let's talk a little yeah. bit about intruders. Okay. Was the intention for that movie and the twist always to be a uh, wrong house, wrong victim type of scenario, Brian?
2: Yeah. I mean, we, you know, uh, David White, TJ Sinfell, who um, wrote intruders, you know, we had read that a couple of years prior because they're represented by the same manager. So, that's the one thing that we that really stuck out to us. If you've seen the film, for those who've seen the film or have seen the trailer, they unfortunately spoil some of it. That was the moment that we were like, "Oh, we got to do this movie." Like when you saw when you see that moment, that's the moment it really pulls the rug out from under the audience. And it uh-huh. was really clever and it was well written. They're very good writers We're actually. We just, I think, they should be writing. If they're if they're watching this, they should be starting today because we just started on a new project with them, which we're excited about. I think today we just got the go ahead. So, um,
0: they so yeah, I mean that's
2: well thanks yeah so that's what we we're that's what we were excited about that it was that twist right like yeah. that was the that was the that was the point of doing the film so they you know when we got when we got that it was a matter of like you know we had producers that said we have money let's make a film and, and ultimately we had to find that script Unfortunately, fortunately it was it was under someone else's option it came out from under option and terms you were talking about you know when you felt after delivery did you feel like you had made it, well, no, because you're constantly moving on, so you know delivery premiered in May of whatever year that was we were shooting intruders in August, wow. and so like that never that never happens, like it never happens that fast when you have stuff uh-huh. back to back to back, so um yeah, we were just happy that a script of that quality was was available and it could be made for the money we had, so that's what we and I think. Honestly, that's the credit. It's a credit to those guys, the people that they were able to get for that film. You know, Beth Reescraft you know, Martin Starr. Yeah. Roy Culkin. Matt Cassie, Roy Culkin. Um,
1: and our guy, Josh Michael.
2: Josh Michael, who, who's, in, who's, who's in, our in 50 states. It was 50 and 50. We
1: wrote a part for him in 50 states. <laughs> all those guys
2: have, all those guys guy have gone amazing. on to do really good work. And I think it's because it was a really strong script and, I, and, and it had something for everybody that exactly. I thought they could bring. Yeah
0: now intruders was originally titled shut in uh yep. i'm assuming that was distributed are the ones that usually like to change titles is that what happened yep. here yeah i, I still um,
2: have a shut-in poster on my wall behind i think people. Brian and I are
0: the only
1: ones i think they made two shut-in posters
2: well the boys have it uh
1: david oh yeah oh, no, so there's four they made four shut-in posters and me and brian and the writers tj and david are the only people that have the shut-in poster <laughs> and that's what i have
2: <laughs> the reason i remember because uh e1 E1 Momentum Pictures distributed it. And so I remember speaking with uh, the, one of the marketers and he kind of let slip, like, yeah, we're going to have to change the title. I'm like, wait a uh, minute. Uh, and he was, like, he was like, he kind of like stopped for a second. He was like, yeah, well, there's another film coming out with Naomi Watts called Shut In and we don't want to get them confused. And I'm yeah. thinking, but our, our film is in the can. that They just started production. So, you know, it's unfortunate because Shut In... It's, the, it's what the movie's about right yeah. it's about, it's about, it's about her it's
1: about her not the not the intruders so
2: to call it intruders which is yeah. a very generic title but so look we're two for two on features being you know delivery the beast within was originally delivery as mm-hmm. in, you know what it was so excuse me like i said we're two for two on title changes for our features so we're just i mean we'll see if at this doing.
1: at this point we just we don't get a test of titles cuz we know that is not in our hands yeah. like
2: it's no matter not. i mean we it owned really all of
1: delivery we owned all of delivery and we still, they still change the title. So it's like <laughs> you go to the distributor and then they make the changes how they want to market it. And you just kind of go until tell you're like Peter Jackson or Steven Spielberg where you can actually like say what you want for yeah. marketing. marketing, have an idea.
0: Yeah. At the yes. end of the day, it's really just a title. Uh, it's the work yeah. that counts. Now, yeah. Yeah, you guys said you, you're constantly coming up with ideas and and, and scripts and so on. What? Uh, because we really are almost out of time. What should we look forward to uh, coming out you know, from both you guys in the near future?
1: Um, okay, so, yeah. Brian uh, is staying I'll, out
0: of this one. I
1: <laughs> will <no>, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk, I'll just, I'll re-hit on the one that we just got, the go-ahead today. It's a Hitchcockian thriller. Has rear window vibes to it. Uh, that TJ and David of two Road Intruders uh, are going to write after this, guys. If you're watching, get to writing. And then uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully that script will be ready sometime spring of next year. We get that baby
2: going. And then, Brian, you can tell them about Yeah, your... we, have a, we have another project we call, that's called Turnkey, which is, um, you know, uh, the pitch for that is like imagine if Chris Nolan did a haunted house story. So, you know, it's 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 obviously got more on its mind than just a traditional haunting. So that's something that we have some producers on board that we're excited about and, and, and gonna try to get off the ground, see if we can get some actors attached to, that, yeah. but that's something, that's that's one of our passions, uh, one of our passion projects. We have a few others as well, um, but, but those are the two that we're hoping to get off the ground uh, wow. soonest. Well, so, I got to yeah.
0: tell you guys, listening to you two for the last hour, it's been inspirational. You know, uh, childhood <laughs> friends who shared a passion and you guys are doing it for work and you're having fun and you love what you do. And uh-huh. producing quality stuff. I mean that that's inspiration and congratulations. I mean oh, I, there's no thanks. other word that can you know describe it. Congratulations, that's awesome. I love hearing stories like these, and I know there's a a boatload of success left down the road for you guys, and things are only going to get bigger and better as things move on. And so. before we go, is there any final thoughts you guys want to share?
1: Let's come back and do this again when we Absolutely. get when the next when the next when the next thing goes. But yeah, nothing really. Just if anybody's out there wanting to make movies,
0: don't make horror on.
1: movies. Don't yeah, let just, anybody just tell you it. you can't. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody you can't because yeah, we have HD quality stuff in a phone now. You can exactly. do anything. I mean, before exactly. That, just Do anything you want. You know. And I remember the
0: days I had a VHS camcorder. You know, I remember those days. Those things were like huge and clunky (laughs) and the tapes. Oh, my God. You guys have been great. Thank you so much for coming on our show and sharing your story. Um, Can't wait to see the rest of 50 States of Fright when it comes out. I'm looking forward to seeing all the other uh, uh, shorts in in that sequence. I want to thank our audience for tuning in. Again, guys, 50 States of Fright, Delivery, Intruders. If you haven't seen these movies, please go ahead and check them out. You won't be disappointed. It's great work. Uh, So on behalf of Adam, Brian, and myself, stay safe. Again, thank you for tuning in. Till next time, stay walking. Good night.